Hello and welcome to a special Patreon-only episode of Broadway Radio. My name is James Marino and we are talking with Matt Tamanini, who is visiting New York. And uh, this is the first of three uh, podcasts where we talk about Matt's uh, visit to New York and what's happening and talk about his shows. So, Matt, thanks for getting up on a Tuesday morning. Thank you. I uh, We don't normally record early in the morning, so I had to do some vocal warm-ups, you know, early on to get the uh, vocal cords out. Well, I'm telling you, that Liz Kaplan vocal pack has really paid off because <laughs> you sound great. It's nice. Um, you know, early in the morning, sounds a little deeper, sounds a little more like Wolfman Jack. You know, I uh, maybe we should change to this full time. <laughs> well, you'll have to talk to Ashley. You know? I'm yeah. not sure Ashley's so much the morning person. Oh, no, she is. She gets up very early every morning. Really? Yeah, she, I think she's up by 7 or 7.30 most mornings. Oh, that's not very early. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's earlier. I mean, we're recording at 7.30, so yeah. if, it's in this wheelhouse. For Broadway people, that's very early. Yes, that's correct. Yes, very for true. people who have clients in London and Paris, that's not early. <laughs> Not early at all, no. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Matt, uh, welcome to New York. You brought the rain, but uh, avoided the snow. It's it's yes. a it's a balmy fifties uh, and sixties here. So, uh... I'll tell you, it was not bad at all. Like I walked around without a coat yesterday. It was lovely and brisk. Um, we don't get lovely and brisk in Central Florida very often. Oh, wonderful. Uh, was uh, first off, you went to go see Tina. Uh, was Tina lovely and brisk? Um, I don't know that it was brisk. I mean, it's a good two hours and 45 minutes. Um, and the show itself, I don't think the show itself is lovely. Um, but but Adrian Warren is, I mean, could be the height of human perfection. Um, the show itself, I, I went in and I just couldn't understand all of the reviews that we heard, James, where they said that the show was very cookie cutter. I mean, it was very Wikipedia-ish. And I just thought Katori Hall is a phenomenal playwright. Tina Turner has an incredibly dramatic, you know, and, and fraught life, and she's overcome so many things. How can this show not have captured that? And it doesn't capture it. I mean, it seems like it rushes through so much things that are otherwise incredibly compelling get brushed aside. And I don't know if that has to do with the fact that maybe Tina, who had involvement in the production, didn't want those things focused on. I mean, there's a, a scene, spoiler alert, I suppose, um, where she takes like 50 Valium and it has to go to the hospital. And that's literally 30 seconds in the show. Um, and I don't – that is a super compelling – interesting thing to watch an actress of Adrian Warren's capabilities to play that decision and play it out would have, would have been, I think really, really um, dramatically moving. And we don't get to see that. Um, so my issues with the show are that I agree with all of the critics and everybody who saw it in the fall, that the, the book seemed not sloppy, but to f spend way too much time on things that could have been done in short amount of times and not enough time on things deserved longer. Now, that being said, I think we should probably just go ahead and say we are no longer giving the Antoinette Perry Theater Awards or whatever the official Tony name is and just give <laughs> just say that it is Adrian Warren that we are giving a statue of. Now, yeah. I don't know if she's going to win this year because this is an incredibly 
difficult category with Sharon DeClark, Sharon DeClark, um, Karen Olivo, um, obviously probably Shireen Pimentel from West Side Story. You've got Adrian. You're also going to have Elizabeth Stanley and uh, maybe Carmen Cusack from Flying Over Sunset. And who else? Uh, you know, who knows who else? So I don't know if she's going to win. But in terms of a performance that just knocks your socks off at how multifaceted and how, um, you know, how much stamina she has, how much endurance and how much she gives. Adrian Warren is she's the bee's knees as far as I'm concerned. She is uh, phenomenal. I mean, and I've talked on here, James, with you for years about how long and how much I've admired her. And this just sent it way, way, way over the edge. I posted um, a video on Instagram and Twitter of the it's not necessarily the the curtain call but the the last kind of little mega mix at the end so if you want to see it um and, and watch that from from my seats it was uh, fantastic and highly recommend that all right so this is what we're hearing about adrian warren uh we have to remember to keep uh that performance forefront of our mind as we come around just a, a mere 12 weeks from now when uh Ooh. Just, I mean, 12 weeks from now, you and I will be doing podcasts 24-7. Oh, well, it, whatever the day is of the Tony nominations, we will be jumping on it um, very, very quickly after those come out. And obviously, she's going to get her name mentioned with a Tony nomination. Whether she wins or not, I that still remains to be seen. But she deserves everything and anything that she gets for this performance. So, keeping up with incredibly talented women, next up after Tina, you got to see Eden Espinosa. Was she, where was she? Is she uh, 54 Below or Birdland she's or at, where? She's at Green Room 42. Green Room 42. Um, she has a four-show residency this month. Uh, the, this one was on Sunday night. The next two were on Sunday night, I believe, and then there's another one mixed in on a different night. So, check the Green Room's website for the official performances. But mm. I interviewed her for Tell Me More. And as she said, these aren't your typical cabaret shows. They are being called uh, unplugged and unplanned. Um, the first half of the show was done was done with um, a guitar and drums. She said, I think the next show won't have drums. Um, then they left and then she brought up uh, a pianist um, to do some songs with her there. And then she brought on a special guest and then closed the song out with the guitar and drums. And she played a wide variety of songs. Um, she had just some of them. She played stuff from her albums. She sang, I know the truth from Aida. She sang a Brandy Carlisle song. She sang the, um, not Joni Mitchell ex-wife song from Bridges of Madison County. Um, <laughs> she, I can't remember what that song is yeah. called, but um, that one, she sang a song from Limpica, um, and she talked about that show quite a bit. Um, and then she did this section where she took requests and it, it was, she probably sang three or four songs um, by request, either in full or, or part. And it was one of those things where, you know, that most I think all the songs that she sang, she had played the roles of before. So people knew her her CV before making those requests. But just the the breadth to the stuff that she has done and especially the vocal breadth um, of how much belting she has done in her career. I think the the three and I, there might have been one more, but the three that she sang 
um, did requests for was she did the end of Defying Gravity, of course. Hmm. She did um, Not a Day Goes By because she did the she played Mary in the very critically acclaimed production of Merrily We Roll Along down at the uh, Huntington in Boston that a lot of people was I was that that might have been a Marion Elliott production. I can't remember. Um, but then she also sang um, uh, Rainbow High at the suggestion of Robbie Rizal, who was with me that night. Um, she sang Rainbow High, which she had had played uh, regionally. She played Evita regionally. Um, and she was fantastic. So I have videos of some of that stuff. I have the Olympica song, um, the um, Rainbow High and uh, Define Gravity up on Instagram as well, if you want to see some of those. Um, and then she brought, she's going to have a special guest every performance. And she brought up um, someone who she said she met doing the Universal Studios Beetlejuice rock and roll show 20 years ago. Um, and uh, told a very funny story about how she thought that they were going to fall in love and get married until he told her that he was gay. And that was uh, Tony winner Levi Chris uh, mm-hmm. or Christ, Levi Christ. Um, and he came up and did a song with her. Then he did a solo song. And um, it was great. I mean, I, 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 again, I feel like a broken record here, but I've talked about Eden before as I interviewed her the other other week. I, Once Upon a Time, I think is one of the best songs ever recorded on a cast album, especially because it was live. And seeing her uh, perform, she, she, she actually got someone requested Once Upon a Time, and she said, I'm not doing that. Uh, I have to start rehearsals for the Joseph concert tomorrow morning, and I my vocal cords can't take doing <laughs> Once Upon a Time before that. But other than that, she was stupendous and so funny and so open and so just genuine. I uh, have always loved Eden, uh, but this just confirmed what a, a very special performer and a special human that she is. All right. So that is uh, Eden Espinoza, and you mentioned that uh, she Green Room 42, and there's upcoming stuff. So we'll link to the Green Room 42 website, which is very difficult to link to. I don't know. Yeah. We'll have to talk to the folks there at Green Room 42 to straighten that out so we can get the information out to our listeners properly. Next, you got the Star Wars parody musical uh, on that same evening. You had Tina, Eden, and Star Wars. Yes. Is there a theme here? Um, pack in as much as you can in one day. That's Excellent. the only theme. Yeah. So this is – I don't know if people – they might have seen this on social media, but – this was a Star Wars, a new, and then in parentheses, sickle, hope. So a new sickle, hope. Oh, okay. Um, and it was written by Adrian Dixon and Andrew Barth Feldman, um, of course. And this was written when those two individuals were in eighth grade. And they did this, which was literally 2016, which is absolutely terrifying. Um, but... So they wrote the show when they were in eighth grade. They performed it in 2016, uh, but now it came back and did two shows on Sunday night at 54 Below. And when I tell you that I forgot after I had gotten the tickets, how many like stars were in it? Uh, it was a little bit jolting. So here's who was actually in it. And I'll tell you some of the stars and who they played. You had Natalie Walker playing Princess Leia. Um, you had Drew Galing playing Darth Vader. You had Alex Boniello playing Grand Moff Tarkin. You had Will Rowland playing C-3PO. Really? Jared, yeah, Jared <laughs> with a little mustache. I don't know what his mustache is, if that's for a role or not, but it's a choice if not. Um, you had Jared Goldsmith playing R2-D2. Um, you had Sky Dakota Lynch, another uh, Dear Evan Hansen alum, playing Uncle Owen and Mickey Mouse. 
which is another choice. Um, you had Heath Saunders playing Obi-Wan Kenobi. You had Andrew Barth Feldman playing Han Solo. And then the crowning jewel, you had stage and screen star Gatton Matarazzo playing Luke Skywalker. Um, Stranger Things and Les Miserables star uh, jumping in on this. And it was it was something that an eighth grader would write, but a very smart and funny eighth grader. But the arrangements were fantastic. They had a huge cast of like backup people as well. Um, it was really fun. I mean, it was not good. And they said at the beginning that like the person who did the voiceover and like did the crawl from the Star Wars, he said, you'll see it's not very good. But in a fun way. And that's exactly what it was. It was fun. All of the people took it just as seriously as you should. Um, Natalie Walker <laughs> said something at, the, at one line, interpolated a line as Princess Leia and said, um, just imagine that I am that I look like I'm 17 and the twin of Gatton Mazarazzo because she's close to twice his age not not that old but uh you know and she's supposed to eventually fall in love with andrew barth feldman you know who's 18 or whatever so there's a fun joke that she had there but it was really really dumb and really really fun and uh, as someone who peripherally likes star wars uh my friend annie who went with me she is a much bigger star wars fan than i am um so, but it was it was fun to see that see all the jokes they had um and just see people up there doing something goofy and having a good time all right, so that is the Star Wars parody musical, and uh, it's fun to see so much talent up on stage and having fun, and it's a pretty small space, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I mean you know, you're right there on top of it. Oh, yeah, 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 and there were people walking through the crowd to get up to the stage and coming in and out. There were people um, – there was actually um, probably four or five times when people were – Singing from the landing at the bar area, there were people in and out of the crowd. Like a lot of times the ensemble was singing in the crowd area, like behind the center section. So you were definitely immersed in the world of Star Wars. And so I would call this, you know, you could have uh, uh, it's a mixture of a Star Wars con and a Broadway con without all the huge lines and, yeah. all, and all the huge uh, expense there to yeah. and waiting on hours and hours to see your favorite person. They're, they're just 10 feet away and perhaps even will brush by you. Yeah. All right. So uh, next up, after your three-day day, day uh, three-show day, mm -hmm. you uh, headed out to see The Headlands. Uh, so tell us about The Headlands. All right, the Headlands is a new play um, by Christopher Chen that is playing at Lincoln Center in the Clear Towel space up at upstairs. Um, it's technically LCT three. Um, it's only the third per performance, the third preview. So I don't want to get into too too much, sure. but I I paid for the ticket, so I have no uh, journalistic restraints on me. Um, but it was a play that presents itself at first as a an internet sleuth true crime junkie trying to solve a cold case. As the show goes on, we realize that it is a case that he is intimately familiar with. It is a, a case related to his family. Um, and it is at times very funny, very personable, um, fairly dramatic. Um, and the story, as you can probably guess, takes a lot of twists and turns. The main actor in the show plays Henry. His name is Aaron Yu. It is a story about uh, 
a Chinese family living in um, San Francisco in the 70s through the 90s, and he is present day. Um, and throughout the show, the his investigation enlightens a lot of things about his family's past, about his how his family's past has impacted him in the present. Um, and there's a lot of twists and turns, as you would expect for something that is based on a uh, – you know, some sort of uh, true crime mystery thing. Um, the show itself, uh, there were some things that I had wished they had gone in different directions, some places where I thought, oh, this is really, really interesting. And then they didn't go the way that I thought that they were setting up. But um, what was there was, I, I think it's always difficult to judge a show on what you think it should be, and, and it's better to judge the show on what it is. Um, it was very, very compelling. I, I enjoyed it quite a bit. Um, and I will say that the projections in the use of video in this is unlike anything I've ever seen, especially in such a small space. And it was very, very effective. Um, and for if people like the technical side of things and like that aspect of theater, I would um, definitely recommend it because it is something I've never seen before in, in how it was used. But um, a very good show. Monday nights, of course, very limited fare. So I, I didn't have a ton of things to choose for or to choose from. And I am glad that I picked this because it was um, I'm not seeing a ton of plays this trip, which is unusual for me because I normally see a, a lot of plays. But this is one that um, will give me some things to think about on a lot of different levels. And I hope that throughout the preview process, it continues to tweak and, and hone things a little bit more because um, I think there's actually a really good show there if they can fine-tune things over the next few weeks. All right. So that's the headlands over at Lincoln Center Theater 3 in the Claire Tau. Tau. I'm still... I don't know. To, I have to ask the press reps what the official pronunciation of it is. We'll just call it the Helen Hayes for now. Um, <laughs> so... Um, that wraps it up for the four shows that you saw. We have another, uh, we're going to talk about another three shows on Friday morning, the 14th on Monday morning, the 17th. We'll talk about the end of your trip, another six shows, a mm -hmm. six show weekend. Um, but, uh, we had some news out of Williamstown theater festival. Oh my God. Uh, did we that, ever? uh, that, uh, Ashley and I neglected to cover on the Tuesday today on Broadway. So the, uh, the Patreon listeners will get a, a, a little quick brief um, uh, insight into what happened at the WTF. Yeah, this is something that – and it's not that you neglected to cover it. This came out at like 1045 on Monday night. Um, it was reported that this summer at the Williamstown Theater Festival from June 30th through June, July 19th, slave play director Robert O'Hara will open the summer season with a revival of Tennessee Williams, a streetcar named Desire, and it will star – Bobby Cannavale, Carla Gugino, and Audra McDonald. So if you are telling me that those three people are doing a play at Williamstown, I would be shocked if this does not have hopes, at least for a future life, because you get those three people in anything uh, on stage or screen, and I have no doubt that it will be amazing. Um, so I am very interested to hear how this goes. Um, and how having in Audra, of course, is playing Blanche. So I'm interested to hear how having an African-American play Blanche um, opposite a, a white um, uh, Stanley and Stella. Like that's a very interesting dynamic as well. So um, very cool thing going on there. And uh, I'm, I'm interested to see how this plays moving forward. 
Um, Ashley and I were just talking about the return of Death of a Salesman. Now we have a streetcar named Desire, a possible Broadway slot. It, it's it's like the 60s all over again. Yeah, I mean, and there's, you know, I think there's a lot to be said for these shows continuing to come back. That's good and a lot that's bad because obviously if you have these old white men shows getting revived, um, that means there's less spots for newer, diverse works to show up. But there's a reason that things like Death of a Salesman and Streetcar continually get revived and continually get revived with stars is because they are seminal works in the American theater history. So it, it, you take the good, you take the bad, and there you have the facts of life. Um, but when you can get people like Laurie Metcalf and Nathan Lane doing doing sure. Salesman and Audra and Bobby and Carla doing Streetcar, like I don't know who's going to be against that. All right, Matt. Well, Enjoy the next couple of days. I will uh, chat with you, I'm sure, much before that. But at least on Friday morning, mm -hmm. uh, February 14th, we're going to talk about Hadestown, Cambodian rock, Cambodian rock Band, and Six. Yeah, the first preview. I will be hot on the heels of the first preview on Broadway of Six, the musical. All right, Matt, we'll talk to you soon. 